Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm honored, as always, to have in the studio with us Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert. Now, l- let me just once again tell you a little bit about this guy who I've probably known for 30, 35 years, I, I don't know, a long time. Anyway, uh, recall to active duty, preparation for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. He was assigned to Strategic Plans and Policy Division of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, assigned specifically to the Middle East, Africa, Persian Gulf, United Nations, involved in planning policy and strategy for the United States forces involved in the Gulf War. Responsibilities include briefing the coalition representatives on a daily basis. Wow. He was uh, retained on active duty for continuing American American projects, including Somalia and Rwanda, Africa. And of course, he is here with us now. And I told you he was uh, the military analyst for WNEP when we were assigned to uh, to cover Desert Storm and Desert Shield. Colonel, how are you? Uh, it's wonderful to be here, Frank. Okay, tough question. What do you think of this whole Trump North Korea <laughs> thing? You, when, when you were here last time, you, you, you know, you, you weren't sure what was going to happen there, but you told us not to worry. Where, where did this come from? Well, you have to understand that uh, one man does not make foreign policy. Okay. I think you and your listeners, your your audience is very intelligent, and they understand this, that a lot goes into something like this. Uh, the fact that North Korea is seen the light, so to speak, and wants to talk, uh, to me, shows that they've been under considerable pressure by their two major allies— uh, China, obviously, and believe it or not, Russia yeah, is still you know, playing a factor. Here. Yeah, you said that last time, and I, and I kept you know wondering, what, how does Russia factor into North Korea? Russia factors in in this regard. Russia and China uh, are allies of sorts, but don't forget that the Russia... Putin's attitude is he still wants to be the dominant world leader. China wants the best economy. Putin's got a lot of problems. I think Putin had a lot to do with North Korea's aggression. Uh, they're testing Trump, and they Trump passed the test, so to speak, that uh, they can't push him around like they have previous U.S. presidents. I guess so. Um, do you, you know, the people who are skeptical say between now and May it's not going to happen, that he is just uh, bluffing. What do you think? Well, I don't think he's bluffing. I think both sides are sincere. But the skeptics who say a lot can happen between now and May are correct. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. What I can assure you right now is the lights are burning long and bright at the State Department and the Pentagon, and they're putting the briefing packages together. They're bringing up the issues they want to discuss, and they're looking at everything from all sides. And by the time the president gets on Air Force One or gets settled down to wherever the meeting is going to be, we still don't know yet where they're going to have this, uh, he'll be fully briefed. 
and a lot will happen. Yeah, I guess so. Now, we have, we have some sound. John, I want to get ready with that first soundbite. This is a former ambassador, Chris Hill, who was asked about North Korea's promise to, to give up some of its weapons. John, can we hear that? The big question, of course, is if they are prepared to give up their nuclear weapons, what are the details of that? Is this something where they want to first see what it's like to meet with Donald Trump? What do you think, uh, Colonel? Are they going to I, give up their nukes, or is this going to be like a 20-year process, or what? They're, they're not going to give up their nuclear weapons. Once you have it, you don't give it up. It's it's similar, I hate to, to use the expression, it's similar to people receiving uh, assistance. Once you have it, it's very hard to wean off of it. And their nuclear power, we recognize that. They know it. Uh, this meeting serves two two purposes, I believe. The first is we are recognizing North Korea as a nuclear power. Two, they are accepting that with complete graciousness on their part because that's their goal, to be recognized as such. Now that they've entered the nuclear tent, the question is, can they be responsible? Those watching over them, i.e. the Chinese and the Russians, are hoping that they will. Now, what role did the sanctions play? Did they really squeeze him? I mean, I, I'm not really sure exactly what all the sanctions are, but did they force this? The sanctions played a major role. South Korea played a major role. The Chinese played a major role. And, of course, I know you don't want to hear this, but the Russians played a major role. Now, don't forget, Syria, with their chemical attacks, have been aided by the North Koreans. Syria is controlled by two countries, Iran and Russia. We have over 5,000 American combat troops in Syria. We've had engagements already, believe it or not, involving Russian forces and United States forces in Syria. The public is really not aware of, of what everything that's going on. What, what do you what, what do you think? You know, I, one of the things I, I know about you is you're like a you're like a, a, a champion chess player. You're seven moves ahead. Well, where are we going with this? What's going to happen? Well, I think the best thing that can. Well, first of all, let's not expect anything really significant to come out of any meeting. The fact that they're meeting is significant in and of itself. It reassures Japan. It reassures South Korea. It reassures the Australians. It reassures the United Kingdom. And all our allies in PACOM, Pacific Command, uh, uh, Pacific Command area, I should say, uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, it shows that the United States is sincere when we say we'd rather talk than shoot. Hmm. We have a, a piece of sound, and the second sound by John. This is from uh, General Jack Keane, four-star general, United States Army, who has some uh, comments about what brought this about. Can we hear it, John? The fact that they've accepted that is the reason that Trump has accepted the visit. Now, they could be lying through the teeth like they've been in the past, and when we get into discussions with them, they move in a different direction. That certainly can be the case. Okay, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, uh, the general's absolutely right. If the talks don't come to fruition, 
it probably will not be because of us. It certainly won't be because of South Korea. It won't be because of the Chinese. It won't be because of the Russians. It will be North Korea's decision unless we do something that is so outrageous that we have to uh, say no deal, no talk. How do you, how do you go into a meeting after you've called this guy Rocket Man, <laughs> after you've made fun of the little Kim, after they have thrown insults at each other? Is that just all politics? What what happens here now after this war of words? Well, the same thing that happened when he got his nomination. Look look what he did with his his uh, fellow Republicans when he was running for president. Uh, the people are already on the ground working, our second, third tier level people already putting together briefing papers, suggestions, bucket lists, so to speak, on both sides. The North Koreans are doing the same thing. And they're looking forward to an opportunity uh, to go from back channel, which has been going on, by the way. We've had back channel attempts on both sides to communicate with North Korea. And they've worked through other sources to communicate to us, too. North Korea is in a, in a tough shape. They're in a bad situation, as you know, and, and you've pointed it out to your listeners, that their economy, they have no economy. Right. They have nothing their whatsoever. people are dying. Right. Now, do we want to invade North Korea? Absolutely not. If the, the best thing that the uh, administration can do is convince the North Koreans that we are not going to be hostile to them. In the same respect, we're not going to tolerate any hostility towards us. Right. That's when, when you were first here, they were talking about lighting up Guam. Remember that? That's correct. And that's, I mean, that, that's, that's talk. Yeah. That's but, talk. Now, ju- just, just for the sake of talk, if there ever was a conflict, there, there would be no problem with us just wiping them out, would there be? Well, let me put it to you this way. Uh, North Korea could be in Seoul in 20 minutes. However, North Korea could be obliterated in 10 minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, that kind of puts it in perspective. We're going to take a break. If you have any, any questions that you want me to throw at the colonel or you would like to call, please. It's, it's our honor to have him here. Uh, he has been here once before talking about North Korea, and he will be here with us for a little while. 8830098, It's quarter to four. I'm Frank Andrews. This is WILK. About 10 minutes now before four o'clock. In the studio with us today is Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert. Now, I, I shared some of his resume, but he was an instructor, U.S. Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg, instructing PSYOPs, Civil Affairs, and Delta Force. Graduate of National Defense University and is here, here with us in the studio talking about North Korea. Colonel, a uh, qu- question just came in. I have a bunch of questions here for you. And by the way, folks, if you have a question or a thought, 8830098, 1-800-4370. This question has come in repeatedly. Frank, please ask the colonel, what would happen if it was indeed a trap? And what kind of trap do you think it possibly could be for the president? I don't think it's a trap as people think of traps. The problem could be if the president says something or goes off script, so to speak, from what his, for want of a better word, handlers uh, brief him on. Uh, the only trap that I would foresee is the president uh, making a claim he can't 
hold up to? Like, uh, uh, we're going to build Toyotas in your company, country or something. <laughs> well, if the president making a, a statement to the effect that uh, we'll annihilate you in, in one minute if you don't agree to... ABC. Yeah, okay, I see. Where It just gets back to a war of words. That, exactly. Uh, next question that has come in a bunch of times here is, if, if something happens here where there is a, an ongoing, let's say, peaceful relationship between North Korea and the United States, what's the impact of that in the world and especially in Asia? I think Asia will breathe a very uh, generous sigh of relief. Uh, situation would be stabilized. And don't forget, we are the prime, uh, the prime force in defense of Asia at this point in time. We have solid allies, but Japan, for the most part, has no military. South Korea military is uh, based upon their own defense. And the only real ongoing Western uh, military is the United States and its allies, Australia in particular, uh, and the United Kingdom. Now, I, I know you, you watch this stuff, and, I, and I'm sure you have. What was all the Olympic stuff, where all of a sudden North Korea wanted to be involved in the Olympics? Was that like a, a litmus test or testing the waters to see if they could look kinder, gentler? Probably. Probably. They're, don't forget, you know, North Korea is not full of dumbos. Uh, they've got some very intelligent, articulate individuals in that country. Uh, they're not running it. It's a one-man show, so to speak. But they have a public image that they'd like to improve also. And, uh, and anything they can do to make themselves look civilized, they're going to do. Uh, tough question here, and this is this is really really tough uh, questions that are coming in. How can the president talk to him without talking about the the civil rights violations in his own country, the gulags, and the people who are dying in prison, and that American Otto who was tortured? Very simply, the president will have to stick to the script. And the same as Kim will have to stick to his script. Now, there's no question that probably will come up. But when it and how it will come up is another story. How it's brought out is another story. For example, if North Korea starts saying, well, we'll do A, B, and C, the United States may respond, well, we'll be happy to accommodate you provided you do one, two, three, which leads to civil rights, the gulags, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We have another soundbite from, uh, from General Jack Keane, who talks about some of the preconditions before this meeting. John, can we hear it? President Trump and his national security team had two preconditions to have negotiations. And uh, Kim Jong-un has met both of them. One is the, the, the talk will be about nuclear disarmament, and two, you will stop your nuclear and ICBM test, and he's meeting both of those conditions. Well, now that's kind of what you said, right? Keep it narrow, you know, don't get off, off script here. And, and what does denuclearization mean? Does that mean they scrap everything they have? Exactly, but they're not going to do that, and we know that. <laughs> and and they know that. The question is, if we can get them to stop testing is fundamentally important. If they will agree to that and it can be verified, then we'll, it's the carrot and the stick approach. If they need oil, food, uh, 
all kinds of, of goods, consumer goods, industrial goods, et cetera. It, they're, not, they're not getting anything now. Part of the problem is their militarization. If they can not demilitarize per se, because where's North Korea going? They're not going to Japan. They're not going to China. They're not going to Russia. The only place they can go is south, to South Korea. South Korea is not going away. Uh, the, the fact is North Korea needs all the help they can get. The only thing they have to bargain with is their nuclear stick. Uh, Colonel, tough question. How close do you think we came from a real conflict? Probably pretty close. Like Cuban Missile Crisis close? I don't think it was quite that close. I think that the media perhaps overplayed a lot of what happened. And there was, don't forget, there was a lot of back-channel uh, workings going on. Uh, communications between us and the Chinese. Communications between us and the Russians. Communications between the Russians and North Korea. China and North Korea. Uh, North Korea at the United Nations, by the way, has one single office. I don't think they have three people on staff. Compare that to any other country at the United Nations. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have a bunch of people who want to know where the colonel thinks the meeting should be. You can call 883-0098-1-800-437-0098. I'm Frank Andrews. We'll be back on WILK. In the studio with us today, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert. Uh, before you retired, Joe, you were part of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and very active in Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and then everything else in the world. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> now, you came in here wearing a suit. I, I interrupted your busy schedule. Where are you headed today? Uh, following your show this evening, uh, there's a dinner at the Hilton in Scranton sponsored. And uh, this is not political. It's political dinner, I assume. It's sponsored by the Lackawanna County Republican Party. But the keynote speaker is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, a uh, Fox News contributor, retired uh, former Army intelligence officer. And I believe he's currently with the London uh, Intelligence Service Group. And uh, he should be a very interesting speaker, and I look forward to meeting him. And you, you said there's no doubt he'll probably mention North Korea in some way, shape, or form. Oh, I'm sure he will, if, if not in his talk and the questions that he'll get afterwards. Okay. Now, uh, we were just watching CNN. CNN is out in the studio, and they were, they were talking about uh, wanting verifiable actions before the meeting. And you used the phrase wiggle room. What do you mean? You said that you know well, everybody's given themselves wiggle room on this. We we put out certain things that we said before we have the meeting. You must do A right. and B. Right. They put out certain things that say before we talk with you, you must do one and two. That gives the each side an opportunity to uh, back off and not meet if conditions aren't met to their satisfaction, or there's no attempt to make meet any of the conditions on either side. Uh, what they say to us, what we say to them. Uh, don't forget, right now it hasn't gotten to the tier one level. 
uh, we're still talking tier two, tier three people that are doing the basic communication. We don't even know yet if we're having direct communication or if we're using an intermediary. Uh, the Chinese may be communicating for the North Koreans. The South Koreans may be communicating for us. Or we may actually be speaking directly. Now, you know, you, while the news was on, we were also talking and you were reminding us of what it was like trying to set up the Vietnam peace talks where they argued over the size and the shape of a table. And you're saying that picking the location for the meeting could turn out to be like giving birth to an elephant here, right? Absolutely. Uh, I don't think we're quite ready to go to North Korea. I don't think we're quite ready to have Kim Jong come to the United States. So what does that leave? What's the alternative? Maybe South Korea, maybe China, uh, maybe Japan. I'm not sure. They're, that's one of the details they've got to work out, and that's going to be a lot of give and take just on that one aspect of the visit. From our point of view, does it need to be someplace strategic? Like I, I, I joked and said, uh, we should be in a hangar where the stealth bombers are. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. Did you laugh? <laughs> I heard that. Uh, you, what you have to understand, and what your audience, I believe, is intelligent enough to understand that the average North Korean has no idea who Donald Trump is. The average North Korean only knows what his government tells him. And there's a very small elite percentage of the population who are involved and who have a, an outcome uh, to be expected as a result of any meeting that occurs. And along those lines, if, if you were... Uh, representing North Korea, where would you want to meet? You want to meet in North Korea? Do you want to meet in South Korea? Do you want to meet in China? Do you want to meet in a neutral country? And the same for us. We're not sure where we want to have a meeting yet. You know, on your resume, I mean, you were you were involved uh, with the U.S. military all over the globe. So while we're sitting here talking about Trump meeting with North Korea, you know, out of your peripheral vision, what other parts of the world are you looking at? I mean, well, is it is it Yemen? Is it uh, Saudi well, Arabia? Well, I'll, I'll, I'm glad you brought up Yemen, just just for the sake of discussion. Yemen has been involved in a very violent uh, civil war for the last three years, and it's really a pseudo war between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, Iran is supporting one facet of the Yemen side, and Saudi Arabia is supporting the other. And it's gotten to the point where Iran has gotten the upper hand in that particular war that the Saudis have uh, dumped their entire general staff, so to speak. They're changing all kinds of commanders. Another problem we have is Syria. And as I mentioned before, the United States and the Russians have already crossed swords in Syria. Uh, we've had a couple of combat missions. The Russians have brought in their brand new SU uh, F-22, their most sophisticated brand new fighter jet. They brought in four of them. We've asked the question, what did you bring four in for? We're not going to attack you. They said, oh, we're just testing our radar. Now, 
there's a lot going on in the Middle East. Uh, Iran is is more or less taking over Lebanon, so to speak. Uh, they're totally influenced and in controlling the elections in the country. Hezbollah, which is an Iranian ally, is uh, making great strides and probably will be the government in Lebanon. Iran is becoming a power in their own right. They're trying to reestablish the empire that they used to have 100 years ago. Turkey is a, a shaky NATO ally. Uh, it still has its problems. It wants to be uh, more or less middle king of the road, so to speak. Well, Iraq is not uh, stable yet. Afghanistan, we've been fighting that war for 15 years. Maybe it's time we need to rethink what we're doing over there. Wow. Um, you know, you mentioned Russia. But the a couple, economy's good. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the economy's. Um, you, you mentioned Russia. This this thing last week where Putin had the news conference about the nuclear weapon he has that nobody can take out. What the heck was that? I think that was perhaps more. He has an election in a couple of weeks oh, in Russia. Okay. <laughs> so I think that was more for domestic purposes. Okay. The problem is, again, you, you have to realize we look at everything from the Western media standpoint because that's what we have access to. In, in Russia, it's a controlled uh, media. There's no free press, so to speak. Uh, it, it's a renegade free press, Radio Free Europe. Uh, secret broadcast that uh, is broadcast in that the people can possibly pick up. But it's controlled media. Uh, the free press is in the United States, period. It is the freest press in the world, for better or worse, sometimes. All right. 17 minutes after 4 o'clock. We're going to take a break. We've got to get caught up in traffic and weather. The colonel's going to be with us until 4.30. We've interrupted his schedule, and I always press him for extra time, and he always says yes. We'll be right back on WILK. Colonel, uh, follow-up to your question. Someone wanted to know... Uh, what we do if we get out of Afghanistan, we've been there for 15 years, what happens to the terrorists if we leave there? What happens over there if we're not there? And I'm not sure that you suggested we leave. You just said rethink, right? Well, ab absolutely. The, the problem is what happens to the terrorists? We're, we're never going to eliminate all the terror in the world as much as we'd like to. We can't do it. It's just not, not possible. The question is, what is the United States' role? I mean, I'll just give you one example. We lost nine tanks. How do you lose a tank? What do you mean lose? You mean just misplaced? <laughs> you got it. You got it. We lost a tank. We lost nine tanks. Now, we recovered seven of them. But <laughs> a couple we've taken back from ISIS. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Now, hang on. Let's, Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, someone wants to know if what we're doing in North Korea has Iran watching carefully because they're next in the president's scope. I'm sorry. Say that again, Frank. We, 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 we stared down North Korea and everybody is saying he blinked. Yes. The next threat is Iran. Are they watching this? And do you think that this has put any fear of God in them? I don't think it's necessarily put the fear of God in them, but certainly they're watching. They, they have as much to lose as anyone. If we create a stable uh, Pacific Rim area, uh, then we can divert more attention, more effort, more resources to the Middle East. That's really the, the key powder keg because you've got explosions everywhere in the Middle East. 
uh, Syria is not going to go away. That civil war has been going on for over seven years. Assad is not leaving until the Russians decide they've had enough of them and they found somebody to replace them. From a military point of view, military strategy, Okay, did, did, was it positive, negative that we named Jerusalem as the capital? I, I, I think it was a great thing, but uh, from a military point of view. I don't think it's relevant. Oh, okay. I don't, I, I, it, it really isn't because uh, the fact is that Israel knows we have their back now. That's what's really important, and that stabilizes some things. But again, we're looking at things from the Western media. We're not looking at, at the world as perhaps where the world is and how the world uh, survives. Take Africa, for example. Uh, we have a lot of vested interest in Africa, and the world, uh, the American people are not even aware of half the stuff we're doing in Africa. Yeah. You, you suggested that we need a three-hour show to answer this next question, because people have asked this over and over again. Are you, are you uh, optimistic about what's happening to strengthen the U.S. military, where we are right now, how we're treating our veterans and our soldiers? The VA still has significant problems, not locally. Believe it or not, the Wilkes-Barre Scranton, uh, the Wilkes-Barre VA hospital is one of the better hospitals on the entire East Coast. I would have no hesitation whatsoever to go there for anything. Uh, The system as a whole has some severe problems. We're still recovering from sequestration from the previous administration. The Navy is almost 200 ships under strength. The Army is is under strength by over 300,000 personnel. The Marines are down over 100,000. The Air Force is still flying B-52 bombers that have been on the, in the fleet since 1950. We're, we're still rebuilding. The question is guns and butter. We tried it once with Lyndon Johnson, and we know what happened. Uh, people are used to having a good life, and the military is expected to provide the defense for that. But the military's gotten the short stick for the last eight years. It's just starting to rebuild itself. Yesterday, we interviewed a uh, a lawmaker from Allentown who has introduced a bill in Harrisburg. He wants to tack a $2 fee on birth and death certificates and all that money go into mental health resources to help people coming back from a war zone with PTSD to try and eliminate some of this suicide problem. There is no one in this area that's more involved in the VFW and helping than you. We, we have a serious problem, don't we, with, with the soldiers coming back? We have a very serious problem, and part of that problem has to do with the rotation uh, of individuals when they're activated, when their unit is sent to a war zone, so to speak, uh, the fact that it's six months in, six months out, uh, they don't know really what to do with regard to how long do you send somebody out for, away from their family. Uh, the problem is you have a professional military, but we're using the National Guard and the Reserve. And we're using that to supplement the active duty forces. And sometimes they don't get along. Sometimes they're not trained as well. 
and uh, you you have all kinds of problems. I think you have an individual running the Department of Defense who's a solid individual. He came from the military. He didn't come from some corporate or uh, educational elite uh, position. He's an ex-general. He knows what has to be done and from the ground up, not only from the top down. Right. Okay, we got 30 seconds. Okay. This, this is the quote that I'll be playing like in three months. All right. What do you think is going to be the outcome of this meeting, Trump and North Korea? I think it will open a new door if the meeting takes place. That's the key. If the meeting takes place, it will open a new door. It will make uh, the president, despite his adversaries, look good and be successful. The question is, take place. Lieutenant Colonel Joe Albert, thank you so much for being here. Enjoy your dinner tonight and your speaker. And thank you for your service, sir. And thank you for your continuing service to the veterans. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.